Welcome everyone to the Rise Science Podcast, the show about all things sleep science and performance. I'm Jeff Kahn, co-founder and CEO at Rise Science. If you've listened to this show before, or you know anything about me, you know that I'm on a mission to help people improve their lives through healthy sleep. For more information about how Rise can help you or your company, or if you just want to download our app, visit our website at risescience.com. On today's episode, I'm talking with sales coach, educator, and Patient Pops VP of Inside Sales, Kevin Dorsey, also known as KD. Kevin has been listed as an Inside Sales Top 10 Sales Leader and Sales Development Exec of the Year. Kevin also happens to host the number one Patreon group and YouTube channel for tech sellers and sales leaders called Inside Sales Excellence and hosts the podcast Live Better, Sell Better, where he gives advice on how to lead successful sales teams from the inside out. Before Patient Pop, Kevin was head of sales development and enablement at Service Titan uh, from 2015 to 2017. Kevin was VP of sales at a healthy snack delivery service called Snack Nation, and he worked his way up uh, up the ranks before that as an IC to then a manager to then director of sales and marketing at Human, uh, where they did healthy vending. Kevin is also a graduate of the University of Wisconsin, where he studied kinesiology, something we'll dig into today. And I am so, so excited uh, to welcome Kevin onto the show, welcome one of the, the premier sales professionals in, in tech today, and dig into uh, what it takes to really lead your sales team uh, into the best, most efficient, most effective versions of themselves uh, so that they can ultimately be effective on the job and, and outside of the job. Kevin, thanks a ton for being here. Hell yeah, my man. I'm ready to go. Let's do this. <laughs> Let's do this thing. So I want to start with your background because I think it's really impressive. And I want to start with something that intrigued me and uh, actually is sort of how our relationship got started, which was a cold, I think it was either a cold email or cold LinkedIn I sent you. And the thing that caught my attention was uh, in your LinkedIn, you said that you cared about the salesperson, the person beneath the salesperson, <laughs> and your background was in kinesiology. I don't know if I've seen any other sales leader that has that sort of a background and, and, and view. And so I'm really curious to learn from even just your upbringing, you know, how you got into kinesiology, sort of the human side of performance, and then really how you went from there all the way to leading, you know, one of the fastest growing inside sales teams at Patient Pop. Yeah, so I mean, kinesiology is something where I look back and I can't say I regret it because I have no regrets in life, right? Like I'm happy with where I'm at, like things happen for a reason, but I picked kinesiology because I wanted to go into sports medicine, right? I had had, you know, severe knee surgery in my senior year of high school and then another really, really bad one in college where I almost died. And so I was like, okay, like I want to get into sports medicine, but then what I ended up realizing was, one, I wasn't down to do 12 years of school and uh, to go into sports med. I didn't want to do six years of school to go into physical therapy. And at the University of Wisconsin, the kinesiology major is an education major. So because it's an education major, I had to take analytical physics, organic chemistry. Like I had to take all the, the science-based like major teaching classes that had nothing to do with the, the body, right? And so it was really frustrating to me. But the one thing that it did is it got me into psychology. And I actually, funny story, I actually would have majored in psychology in college if at the University of Wisconsin, it was not on a bell curve. So I, I got a 99 on a test one time and got a C because enough people got a hundred. Right. I, I couldn't deal with that. I'm too competitive for that, right? Like I put in this effort and whatever. So that's funny. So that was that's. So I stopped right as okay. Like I'm not going to do this anymore. And I was like, right, I'm going to get into sales. 
And I got into sales, but I did personal training in college and then personal training in LA. So it's not even on my LinkedIn. Like people, a lot of people don't know this. I ran personal training studios in LA for several years, right? And so that's what started the, the journey, but it was running those studios that got me into like really selling a lot of business ownership, entrepreneurship. And then that's what kind of kicked off my entire journey from there. Interesting. So what it almost seems like is you're doing kinesiology, getting deep into just science, which wasn't as exciting as maybe you wanted, taking psychology, got into personal training, and that was sort of your first entree into sort of what's known as sales. Is that? I think it was my first entree into changing behavior, right? So as a personal trainer, not only am I selling the packages, I have to sell you on a new way of living. I have to sell you on how to change things for the better when you've been doing something the same way for years. And so it's really when I got into behavior changing. That's when I got into cyber cybernetics or psycho cybernetics. That's when I got, I was reading um, counseling books. Like, how do you change behavior through counseling? Because a lot of personal training, (laughs) even leadership, is a lot of like therapy and counseling, right? So I think that's that's what got me the most was that's when I started learning how do I change someone's behavior for the better, right? And then that's what eventually kind of led into like selling, selling, right? And that's, you know, and I love it. I look back at that and go like, man, that's when I learned, right? That's when I really learned how to change someone's behavior. Interesting. I think the... One of the things we hear a lot, and obviously, you know, for those of you that are listening, and, and Katie, I think we've talked about this a little bit, the first research paper that Leon, my co-founder, and I had ever done was back in 2012, 2013, and it was on this premise. We had read um, some of the work from BJ Fogg, who runs Stanford's Persuasive Technology Lab and uh, has done some amazing work on, and really simplifying how do you change behavior and ultimately proving out that you can. And time and time again, um, I've run into whether it's NFL performance coaches, you know, elite level athletes, uh, top executives, folks will say, Jeff, you can't change behavior. Behavior is just too hard to change. Um, Do you have, you know, now that you've been from those early training days, like, how do you handle that objection? Well, you, you said it, right? Even people that say that you can't counter with it's hard. Hard doesn't mean you can't. It just means it's hard. And that's where most people aren't willing to do the hard work to change behavior. You absolutely can change someone's behavior, but where most leaders, they don't even try anymore. And in the sales industry, this is pretty rampant, right? It's like you just try to hire the right person. Just, just hire the right people and the rest will weed themselves out. It's like, that's not the right way to lead people in, in my eyes. It's just not. It is hard though. And like I tell my managers, right? You have to be positively unrelenting, positively unrelenting when it comes to changing someone's behavior. You have to approach it in a more positive way, but it's unre- you cannot stop. And that's what makes it hard. Yeah, it's, uh, I've been reading BJ Fogg's book that he put out, I, th- I want to say a couple months ago, called Tiny Habits, which is awesome. And one of the big takeaways f- for me from that book, and I've read all of his work and thought about it and, you know, published at least one paper in the space. Uh, One of the things that was surprising to me, and I think surprising to him, is the notion that you hit on, which is the positively part. So not only unrelenting, but his whole thesis uh, is that you actually have to create joy when you do the behavior, no matter how small. And it's actually emotion that creates behavior. 
And that was, for me, pretty mind-blowing. But I'm curious on the, the positively part and, and just thinking through that, it just seems like that's such a critical area as a leader where you have leaders that are just not really willing to put in the hard work. And like you're saying, let's just hire the right person and let's put the right comp plan in place. Let's put the right org structure in place and, and the rest will take care of itself uh, is sort of a you know, myth. So, so it's funny, man. Like, um, first of all, one of my sales orgs virtues, right? Like I don't do values, I do virtues. So I got this from Ben Horowitz's most recent book, What You Do Is Who You Are. Oh, it's great. It's a phenomenal read, right? And he says, you know, values are what you believe, virtues are how you behave. And he's like, all companies have values, right? We believe in integrity. We believe in customer first, but virtues are how you behave. And one of our org's virtues is celebrate the process, celebrate the process right it's to what i just today just today jeff i led a one hour 15 minute training on goal setting for my team we did an august reset right because i don't know when this is going to live but everyone listening this is we're still in the midst of this damn pandemic like i don't know about you jeff but a lot of my goals i set in january they didn't last very long they didn't they yeah. didn't yeah. survive covid right and so i was i took my team through a goal setting exercise and this was part of it is how are you going to celebrate the day in day out processes how are you going to celebrate the behaviors right so my team knows this my managers know this i rarely talk results rarely i know what the results are it's all about behaviors and if i can recognize for the right behaviors i'm more likely to change the behavior so all the leaders listening saying you can't change behaviors because you don't talk about behaviors you only talk about results that's why you can't change someone's behavior it's not about whether they lost weight that week it's not about whether or not they booked a meeting that week or closed it did they follow their plan yes celebrate the the goddamn stuffing out of that i don't know if i'm allowed to swear on that so that's that's where i caught myself you can swear as much as you want all right the, the, the frustrating thing to me about about sort of the, the dominant view and, and hopefully this is the types of conversations that we want to have and that you're having and that you're putting out there is, you know, there just there's now a wealth of evidence and science. You can change behavior. And so I think the onus should actually be on the folks that are saying you can't change it to say, well, what evidence do you have for that? You know, like what is the evidence available that's peer reviewed suggesting you cannot change behavior? And if you actually look at it, you'll find that, like you said, it doesn't mean that it's easy. You know, building a car isn't easy, but that we we have gotten really good at building millions and millions of cars and it's a discipline and you have to get good at it. And so, I mean, that type of work that you're doing, celebrating that positivity, um, I mean, it just it sounds simple, but it's just it's how behavior works. And so it's really cool to see leaders like you that that understand that. Well, so it, anyone that would say you can't change behavior doesn't understand the human species at all. Like, I don't even understand how that's an argument, right? Of like, oh, you can't change behavior. Oh, yeah, because I can see a lot of people outside my window right now driving a horse and carriage and buggy. Somehow we changed that behavior. Oh, where's your Palm Pilot? Where's your flip phone? Right? You know how to use a fax machine? Right. You can change behavior if, one, you give people a good enough reason to change behavior, but two, you provide a tool that allows the behavior to change. Right. That's why I'm such a huge fan of like checklists and like reminders and calendars. We'll probably get to the end. Um, sand dials. Right. You provide a tool 
to allow the behavior change. But of course we change behaviors. Look, that's the, honestly, that's the reason our species is where it is now is because we change behaviors better than any other species on this planet, period. End of story. Yeah, I haven't thought about it that way, that actually it, our advantage as a species is the ability to change behavior. Exactly, and to choose to, right? If you look at any other species on this planet, if it was going to make a systematic change within its species, it happens through evolution and external environmental factors working on it, right? A bear wouldn't just wake up tomorrow and be like, you know what, I'm not going to hibernate. <laughs> it wouldn't do that. It can't until outside right. factors changed it enough where it could not, it would not make that choice. The Our advantage, but also disadvantage mentally as a species is we can change behavior and we can choose it. We're also the only species on this planet that consciously has behaviors that are bad for us. Like we choose, we choose to do bad things to ourselves. Come on, a behavior change isn't possible. Get out of here. Yeah, it's... Uh... It's actually, it's, it's funny. It's actually the whole, we should just be talking about behavior change. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's uh, such a critical topic, I think, for any leader to understand. And like you said, I think it's what makes us, maybe it's what makes us unique as, as a species. Mm-hmm. I want to transition us into, I think, a, a, an in, interesting part. So, you know, obviously got into personal training, realized that uh, changing behavior is something you love doing probably as an individual and as a trainer, but then you've grown, you know, ultimately now running, running big and bigger and bigger teams. Uh, and I'm just curious on the last part, if you've had on the, on the sort of more recent part of the journey, has that stayed true for you? Have, has anything gotten more real, less real as you've scaled in your career and grown on the behavior change side, the sales side? Um, I mean, I guess, yes, things continue to get more real because I continue to learn. Right. Like most of my reading, most of my studying is on behaviors, habits, how we make decisions. Right. Why we make the decisions that we do. Right. So I'm still learning and growing. But then I'm in an environment where I get to call it test it in the real world because it always seems to work in these goddamn books. It always works in there. Yeah. And then, you know, I'll exactly. sk- skip out my office and go like, hey, guys, let's try this. And it falls flat. And I go, OK, why? Well, one, it wasn't a controlled environment. <laughs> like, Two, I didn't get to, like, to pick these. We don't know everyone's background. So I continue to learn. And so I think in terms of what's become, I say when it comes to behavior change, this is, I think, one of the biggest shifts I've made over time is starting much smaller, like much smaller, laughably small, right? If I'm trying to increase a rep's dials, okay, you've been averaging 22 dials a day. Most leaders come out like, dude, you better hit 50 or you're gone. I come out and say, can you get me 24 tomorrow? We're going to go plus two for the next four weeks. Can you get me 24 tomorrow? And then 26 the next day. And then 28 the next day, right? So I start much smaller now when it comes to behavior change. Because we all, we all know this. Anyone listening right now, we've all done this too, right? We, we, we use this magic line, this is going to be, right? So all right, this is going to be the day. This is, this is right. going to be the day. I'm going to hit 100 dials today. Or this is going to be the week. I'm going to get up every morning, go for a jog, write my journal, make my green smoothie, meditate for five hours, wake up like hallucinate right we're like this is gonna be and we take these (laughs) we take these big behavior changes 
It's taking the big behavior change and making it so much smaller, like laughably small, and then building it up. That's been one of the bigger shifts I've made, I think, even as as a leader. It's like, okay, what's the behavior I want? Why do I want it? What are the babyest steps I can create to help someone on that journey? What's so interesting to me just about the philosophy is uh, so many leaders will start from different places when they're diagnosing a problem. And what, what I'm hearing from you is just this intense focus on, yeah, of course, we know what the outcome is we need to hit. We need to go get some number. We need to go improve something. You're doing the, the analysis to say, well, what are the behaviors that we need to change? Uh, that's where you start. And then you say, you take it one step further, which is, okay, how do we make it as small as possible? And I think that's so neat to, uh, such a cool way of thinking about how to create change in your organization, really from the behavior up. Because that's, at the end of the day, what any organization is. It's the behaviors that it's you behaviors. do. It's behaviors. I mean, that's it. That's what life is, right? Right. You are one behavior change away from either a significantly better or significantly worse life. One behavior change away. Yeah. That's all it ever is. Because if your behaviors don't change, neither do your results unless the environment changes. Right. And so those are things that I even like right now, for example, you know, we're trying to sell in a pandemic, trying to sell to doctors, mind you, in a pandemic. If all I did was look at the results, how would I treat my team? Right. Oh, the results aren't there. Therefore, you are bad. And we punish them for their results. Whereas I where I hound and where I talk and where I encourage is like, yo, behaviorally. Are we doing the right things? Because if we are, then I know it's the environment. Then I know there's an external factor that is affecting us right now, and we can wave that flag. But if our behaviors aren't there, I cannot wave that flag. I can't blame COVID if you're not picking up the phone. I can't blame COVID if you're not following the demo the way we've taught you to follow the demo. right? So it all comes down to behaviors. And then that's also what allows me to confidently say, what is wrong? Is it us or something else. You have behaviors or everything. That's everything. Yeah, it's it's so so interesting uh, to just to hear that viewpoint because it, it transcends again not just a number but how you manage and how you run teams. Um, so tell me a little bit about. Obviously, I, I sent a cold email to you and I said, hey, we're working on this sleep uh, the sleep app. We're working with sales teams. We're seeing some really interesting numbers. Obviously, you've got hundreds of things going on in your world. Personally, professionally, uh, why was sleep even a thing that you responded to amidst everything else that was out there? Because what it's the only thing as human beings we tend to have in common is we all have to sleep, right? Everyone's diets are different. Everyone likes different things. But damn it, we got to sleep and we know we have to. And it's funny, it was about a year earlier that I had really gotten into researching sleep as well and understanding what a massive impact it has on people and so like whether you know the fact that what you guys do has an impact on results is awesome but it wasn't why i responded right it wasn't like ooh, i'm gonna get a, i'm gonna get a 32 percent lift in sales from this it was like oh my god this could help my team sleep better and if it helps my team sleep better, they're going to live better. And if they live better, they'll have more energy. If they have more energy, they'll have more joy. If they have more joy, they'll have more fulfillment. Like, yes, right? 
top that off with the amount of stress everyone's under right now, like that's why, right? It spoke to the person side of salesperson, right? I was going to call you on it, but I'm not going to as harshly, right? It's like, it's not the person beneath the salesperson. It's the person in salesperson. It's not beneath anything, right? And so that's why I responded was like, this takes care of my people. And that's what matters right now. It shouldn't even just matter right now. That's just what matters, you know, all the all the leaders that are out there listening to this, I think oftentimes are saying, well, you know, KD, I hear you. It's important to take care of your people, but I don't know if that's my job. Like HR's maybe doing that, or we've got like an internal team that's taking care of that. We have like a, a chief happiness officer. Like we, we, we've got like, you know, headspace from, from HR. Like why is this something, and, and how do you think about, especially sales leaders should be thinking about their role in the what you're saying, the, the sort of behaviors, the things that are bringing more joy, more fulfillment uh, to your team. I mean, how do you begin to think about that as a leader and, and what's your role in promoting these sorts of uh, tools and approaches? So one of the things I ask myself as a leader often is, what do I want to be known for? What do I want to be known for? And I want to be known for doing my best to take care of my people. Am I perfect? God, no, I am not perfect. Was I perfect? Was I always this way? No. And I know early in my career, I ran people into the ground. I didn't have that balance, right? I didn't know how to take care of that that person. I've grown there, right? But I don't believe you can outsource a relationship. I don't believe that you can outsource trust, right? So the idea that HR is going to support your team the way that you could support your team. Like, I think people also forget what HR stands for. It's human resources. It's not human performance improvement. It's not human relationship improvement. It's not human. It's human resources. They're there as a resource, right? But which one has a bigger impact in building a strong culture and org? HR swooping in saying, hey, we have headspace for you. Or the leader of the organization going, hey, I care about you. And because I care about you, I went and tried to find something to help you deal with the stress you're having right now. This is the best one I could find. I think it'd be perfect for you. I'd encourage you and allow you the freedom to do it. Which one's going to build a stronger culture? Which one's going to improve performance? So when the day comes that I ask a little bit more of you than maybe you thought you could give... You know it's coming from a place of care. It's one of the reasons why I can push my teams. Working for, working for me is not easy, and I don't think anyone would ever tell you that it is. I don't want anyone listening and thinking like, oh, KD just runs a sunshine and rainbows and a like hug fest every day. <laughs> no, that's not what it is. But it's because I, I believe it. And I could be wrong. Who the hell knows? But I believe I can push my teams because there's also a focus on the person in salesperson, when everything is transactional, when everything is conditional, hey, I'll treat you well if you do what you're supposed to do. That's not how you build a relationship. Yeah, that's that, that's a, another really interesting frame to think about. That if your if your relationship is just I'll I'll pay you well when you do what you're supposed to do, that's never how you build a close relationship that's based in trust. Mm-mm. And so you're not going to get you're going to have high churn. You're going to have people burn out. Of mm-hmm. course. Yeah. When when love and care is conditional that's not a relationship that's called a transaction it's not a relationship if someone has to do something to get it right 
that is a transaction. And if that's how you want your relationships to be, <laughs> okay, you can get the end result through transactions. And everyone knows what I'm hinting at right now. You can go get it through a transaction, but you're not fulfilled from it. You don't get joy from it. It doesn't help the other side of it, right? If I come home and go, hey, babe, my wife, right? My wife, Jessica, I said, hey, if you make me a great dinner tonight, I'll give you a shoulder rub. Right. How good is that dinner going to be that night, right? Is that shoulder rub even what she wants now? Because that was conditional. Right. That's a transaction. That breaks trust. That's so, so interesting to think that it's actually that transactional nature that, that can be caused when you don't have leaders that are stepping up, going above and beyond to say, I care about you as a person. And I'm going to do something not because you did something for me, but because I care about you. Right. End of story. I just I just had this conversation with my managers. And by the way, like this is something that packed about positively unrelenting. I have to do it for my managers, too, of bringing up these same ideas on how we need to treat people. I just walked them through this. I said, which do you think is most likely to get you the long-term results you're looking for? Hey, Jeff, if you hit your numbers this week, I'll buy you lunch. Or, hey, Jeff... I know you're going to be working hard this week. Lunch on me Tuesday and Thursday. Now they say, well, what if they don't do the right things on Tuesday? You get them lunch again on Thursday, right? I, th- I, can't, I can't remember what book this is from, but it is like, it's anywhere from four to six acts of unconditional giving is all it tends to take to change someone's behavior. I'll try to find, I'll find this reference point for you, but it's true. Yeah, yeah, it's great. So you give someone something unconditionally first. Hey, I know you're going to be working hard this week. Here's some lunch. That person might get it and go, ha, I'm not going to work hard this week. I'm going to eat this lunch in your face. Screw you, manager. (laughs) Thursday comes. Hey. I love that image. Hey, I know, I know, I know you missed it earlier this week. I know we're going to turn things around. Lunch on me again today. Look at this this guy. This guy got me lunch again, even though I didn't do what I was supposed to do. What a joke. What a loser. (laughs) Next week comes. Hey, you know, like the lunches last week were something cool. I was thinking maybe a little bit more energy. Coffee on me each morning. Starbucks coming to you. Coffee on me each morning. Monday coffee. He he got me coffee again. Like what? He's trying to buy my love? (laughs) Okay, see if this works. Mocha frappuccino down. Wednesday. By Friday of that next week, do you know what starts to happen to that person? They start to go, I mean, all right, like, I guess I could do it a little bit today. Like, it's not because you got me this coffee, though. It's because I'm choosing four to six of unconditional giving is sometimes all it takes to change someone's mindset and behavior. Just most people stop at one because, again, they made it conditional. Hey, I bought you lunch. You didn't do what I wanted you to do. I will no longer give. Four to six. That's all it takes. And when you do, this would be the flip side of this. When you do have to let someone go for performance reasons, I'm going to, based on what I know, I'm going to put a hypothesis out there about how you approach it because I want to take in the learning and see if I could apply it, which is you're going to be unconditionally supportive, positively unrelenting. If the behaviors are off, you're going to start to notice and you're going to step in to change those behaviors multiple times. Meanwhile, you're giving unconditional, you know, positively unrelenting support. And if those behaviors continue to never change, you're going to then try to say, well, is there an environmental issue? Uh, 
and ideally that that may be that environmental organi- environmental issue is the organization or the role or the type of work mm-hmm. and it could even be something outside of what you're doing but i'm curious to just get your take like how far off is that from your approach and how do you think about making that final call to say look at some point the numbers aren't where they need to be the behaviors aren't there it doesn't make sense. So it falls into a few buckets, right? And also, too, for people listening, positively unrelenting doesn't mean you're only giving positive feedback. Like, it's just that you're positively unrelenting trying to change behavior. But if someone needs to have a tough conversation or have negative feedback, like, that is delivered, and it's delivered very directly, right? But when I look at, you know, losing someone or having to let someone go, it falls into two buckets, right? There's the will and the skill, Right? If the behaviors aren't there, that is a will issue. Are they willing to do what it takes to be successful? Now, we'll dive in. We'll try to find out why they're not willing, right? Is it environmental, right? I've had, I had a, a rep who was showing up late consistently to work, right? Showing up late and it was driving me nuts, right? Like so much so I was ready to put this person like on a plan and let them go only to find out that on the way to work every day, they were dropping off food for their grandmother who was across town and kept getting stuck in traffic. Whoa, did that story change real quick, right? So you dive in to try to figure out, well, why aren't the behaviors there, right? But if you're not willing to do the job, I have a very short leash there, right? You have to be willing. Now, the flip side, If the will is there and the skill is not, we are going to do everything we can to develop you, right? Can we develop those skills? Because this is then how I look at that termination. I have a willing person who cannot develop the skills necessary to succeed in this role. I owe it to that person to find them something new because they are a good person. And the third bucket that I didn't touch on was culture, right? You can do the right behaviors, and still not uphold the virtues and values of our org, right? So if you're breaking the virtues and values, if you lack integrity, if you lack respect, if you are cheating the system, anything like that, like that's a immediate, right? Clear, like, yeah. Done, right? Those like this might sound like rough to people. I enjoy those firings, and I'm not joking, <laughs> because that is an individual that is hurting my family, and by family I mean my team. I'll let that go. Immediately, there's that. That to me is yeah. not a conversation. The will, I'm gonna try to figure out why. What's holding you back? Environmentally, nothing. Okay, put up or shut up. Skill. We invest a lot in developing the skills of our reps. And if I have a willing person that just doesn't have the skill necessary, no matter how much we put in, then I help them find something new. Right? Like I, I believe I'm a very hardworking individual. I think I'm relatively smart. I don't think I'm ever going to be a world-class programmer. I just, I just don't have the characteristics of that, right? Like, so, you know, what what they say, like, ask a fish to climb a tree? Well, yeah, like, it just doesn't work. Put it back in the water. So that's how I look at terminations, right? Is like, if you're willing, I'm going to try to develop you. If you're not willing, I'm going to try to figure out why, but then it's not worth the conversation. But if you're willing and I can't develop the skill, you're a fish out of water. I'm going to try to find you someplace that is a better fit for your skills. Hmm. I really like that framing too. Will, skill uh, being just important to be able to diagnose both of those. Um, And it really makes it clear also how can you focus your improvement efforts and to communicate that back to, you know, your reports. 
So I want to leave us on one final question, and I ask everyone this question. Um, we've got like one or two minutes left. You've been so, so generous with taking uh, your time, sharing your wisdom, sharing sort of your principles that make you and your team so successful. Um, I'm just so curious to learn if there is one thing that you do, and it could be a philosophy, and we've talked about a number of those. It could be a tool. We've talked about some of those. It could be a habit. Something small that you do that you found has had the biggest impact on you know, how you uh, perform at work, but also, you know, how do you live outside of work, the joy that you feel, the, the, the presence that you feel every day, you know, what gives you that uh, long term? And so I'm just curious if there's something that comes to mind for you. So there's something that comes to mind and it's, it's one word and I'm far from perfect with it. But when I follow this, quite literally everything in my life is better and it's intention. Am I doing what I'm doing right now with intention, right? Versus doing what I'm doing because it needs to get done, right? I just told my team this the other day. Five minutes of intention is better than an hour of attention, right? I work a lot. I do. If I walk out the door right now and give my daughter five minutes of intention, and my intention is to make sure she feels loved, that five minutes of intention will be so much better than an hour of just sitting on the couch, being around her and giving her attention. Mm. Intention, right? Am I being intentional with what I'm doing right now? Do I know why I'm doing what I'm doing right now? What is my intention even coming into this, right? So I really try to schedule my meetings now for 50 minutes, not an hour. So I have 10 minutes in between. To one, download what I just went through, what I just went through, but also so I can even take 30 seconds. What is my intention with this next meeting on my calendar? What am I trying to achieve? Sales reps, if you thought about this before every call, what's my intention here? Leaders, if you thought about this before your one-on-ones, what is my intention? That word, if you can focus on it, if you can do things intentionally, your results, your fulfillment, your joy will improve even with something as simple as sleep what's my intention with sleep it's to recover and refresh not just go to sleep just even having that intention before going to bed at night improves my sleep right so intention that would be that would be what i'd leave everybody with is live intentionally lead intentionally sell intentionally bring joy to your family intentionally things change change for the better. I love that. Uh, I think it's a great place to to close off. And I would want to spend so much more time with you just on intention setting. But I think that's for part two. I'll be ready. To learn more about how we work with sales organizations to drive measurable improvements in revenue, productivity, and well-being, head over to our website at risescience.com. Now, if you're an individual interested in using sleep to get more out of your day, just have more energy, and all of the other good things that Ron and I talked about, you can download our app, Rise, on any app store, iOS, or Android. You can also email me at jeff at risescience.com to discuss anything you heard on the show today or to nominate a great guest. We'd love to hear from you. The Rise Science Podcast is produced by Candice Kahn and Lola Feiger. Music in today's episode is by Blue Dot Sessions, and thanks to the entire Rise Science team for their help with writing and research. I'm Jeff Kahn. I'll talk to you next time. Sleep well.